Hey everyone, you're listening to On Their Behalf, formerly known as DNA, a true crime podcast. Please enjoy. Hey, and welcome back to DNA, a true crime podcast. I'm Devin, the D. And I'm Asia, the A. And last week we covered the case of the Toronto serial killer, who we now know is Bruce MacArthur. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and check it out. If you did listen, here's a little recap to refresh your memory. Previously on DNA, a true crime podcast. Over the course of seven years, eight men disappeared from Church and Wellesley, a gay village in Toronto, Canada. The divisional task force, Project Houston, was created to find out what happened to Skandaraj Skanda Navaratnam, a man who disappeared in September 2010, Abdul Bazir Fazi, who disappeared in December 2010, and Sharush Mahmoudi, a 50-year-old man who went missing in August 2015. Unfortunately, the Project Houston task force was unsuccessful and disbanded in 2016 with still no answer as to what happened to these men. Meanwhile, men of the Church Wellesley village were still vanishing. In August 2015, Krishna Kumar Kanagaratnam went missing. The following year, in April 2016, Dean Lezewick went missing. And a little under a year later, Salim Ezin went missing as well. But it wasn't until Andrew Kinsman went missing from Cabbage Town that a second task force was formed. Officers of Project PRISM, including some officers from the 2016 Project Houston, banded together to officially find out what happened to these men. With the help of Andrew's devoted friends, the police were able to find the only piece of essential evidence that led them to a man named Bruce MacArthur. Bruce was connected to all of these men in some way, um, but they were not the only people who came into contact with him. And as you know from last episode, there was one that got away. And if you don't, please go back and listen to part one before you continue. Isaac, uh, which again is not his real name, was a friend and lover of Bruce's for about five years. Uh, He agreed to meet up with him. It was kind of like their usual thing. Um, And, but unfortunately he was attacked by Bruce when he started to choke him in the back of his 2004 red Dodge van. Um, But thankfully, Isaac was able to fight him off. Um, So when he was free from his hold, he basically was just like, you stay here, I'm calling the cops. Um, And as as Isaac went to go uh, call the police from his car, of course, Bruce sped off. Um, and Mm -hmm. Isaac decided to give chase, which, oh my God, I would totally, I feel like that would be my (laughs) first reaction to like, uh, uh, motherfucker, you're not getting away. Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) but obviously the 911 operator was like, uh, I think you should not do that and pull over and go back. So he does, he pulls over, he goes back to the parking lot where they were, um, which was a, a McDonald's parking lot and in the middle of the day, which I just feel like how ballsy, just bold, <laughs> yeah, very bold, very <laughs> like who cares. But then Bruce really didn't care about anything, honestly. Um, but as the police arrived to take his statement and figure out what happened, you know, Isaac was just like, I have no way to prove this. And if, 
like, are they going to believe me with no van here, nothing but my, like, bruises and, you know, and me being startled and, you know, calling the police. Like, he just was scared he wasn't going to be able to prove it. And he was right, because when the police arrived, um, they did take his statement. They asked, you know, do you know where Bruce lives? And he was like, no, not really. We've we've never been to his house. We've We've always been to my place. Um, and every time he would call me, he would call me from a payphone. Um, yeah, Weird. so like super red flag. Um, well, red flag for the police more more than Isaac because mm-hmm. I, I mean, back then I just feel like, like yeah, back then this was like four years ago. No, this was in two thousand ten, wasn't it? No, no, I'm sorry, you're right. Two thousand sixteen. What year is it? 2020. You're right. It's 2020. But um, I just feel... (laughs) I just felt like, you know... But for somebody of Bruce's age to, like, be... Yeah, like, I just felt like that wouldn't be something that would... Like, it would shock me now, I think, if, like, you called me from a payphone. I didn't even know there still were payphones. True. There is. I think that in New York City, some of them still work. Wow. But I'm not not positive. It, it, It might be... I might be wrong. Um, I would, I would still have like a car phone if I could. Uh, so (laughs) they, uh, the police basically just take a statement and Isaac says, quote, I, the police never contacted me after that. He never heard a thing. Um, so. So they just didn't do anything. Well, sort of. So when, but at the same time as they're, you know, uh, interviewing Isaac, um, guess who turns up to the police station to turn himself in? No. Yeah. Bruce MacArthur. So he shows up, um, but according to court documents, um, he basically just goes in and he's like, hey, so this thing just happened and I know someone's calling the police on me, um, but I just wanted to, like, explain, pretty much. So he goes to the police. They, um... He claims that he and Isaac only knew each other for about two to three years, which is a lie and also a very broad time. Like, two to... Yeah, we only have known each other for... two, maybe three. I've Gabe for two years before we moved in together. That's, like, not... Yeah. This this is a nothing thing. Yeah, he's being very nonchalant about it. Um, So, um, and he said that when Isaac and he started to kiss... He believed that to mean that he wanted it rough. Hmm. Because that's what all normal people who start kissing believe. <laughs> that is ridiculous. He's asking yeah. for it. Just kidding. That's not a thing. Oh, God, it's so ridiculous. Oh, because we started kissing, I, I just assumed that he wanted it rough. Like, this is totally not my fault. How am I supposed to know that that's not the deal? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! So the art, the uh, officer that took uh, MacArthur's statement was Detective Paul Gauthier, and Gauthier? he said, "Oh, maybe." Yeah. Um. Oh damn. <laughs> See, I'm I'm not good at that stuff. Say it again. Gauthier. Gauthier. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. Okay, Detective Paul Gauthier. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um. So he said, "Quote uh, uh that." He appeared genuine and credible in his recall of the incident. A.K.A. white. 
man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, he decided that there were no grounds to charge him, so he let him go. Wow. And uh, so apparently, if you're white, one, mm-hmm. um, and you can recall the situation clearly. Just get ahead <laughs> and of it. it. Yeah, and, and you're just <laughs> doing it with, like, sincere, you know, like, very, you know, bolsterous way of explaining what's happening. You can get away with assault and murder. Who knew? Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, fun fact. This is the part that pisses me off, because if the police would have just done a little bit of digging into Bruce's past and who he was and where he came from, they probably wouldn't have let him go. And because they did leave, let him go, uh, he was able to kill uh, Salim Asen and Andrew Kinsman in 2017. Mm. So that they had just, like, run a background check when he was there. They did. They did? And they just didn't... Wait, what? We'll get into it. (laughs) So, let's talk a little bit about Bruce. Mr. Bruce. Okay. Thomas Donald Bruce MacArthur. Oh, no. He's from Lindsay, Ontario. And God, if Bruce wasn't bad enough, you gotta throw in a Donald in there. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just not fond fond of people named Donald. Donalds are ruined for us all. Yeah, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Anywho, so um, he was born October 8th, 1951. He was a farm boy. Um, he was raised on a farm in Argyle, just north of Oshawa. Um, his house was always packed. He had a sister, but his... He only had one sister, but his his mother and father were, um, they also fostered troubled children from Toronto sometimes, hmm. um, but like six or ten at a time. Oh my God. So it sounds nice, but also sounds like maybe grounds for weird things happening. Yes. It reminds me of... Uh, that cult story? Yes. And then yeah. Law and Order did a episode about that. Where they were like, basically, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that that's what they were doing because I'm sure that no. they're lovely and, um, well, you know, they I, raised Bruce MacArthur, so true, true. Um, I'm just hoping that those troubled teens, uh, you know, like I wonder where right. they ended up, and I'm really hoping that Bruce was the only serial killer of the bunch. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, uh, apparently, he was also a snitch. <laughs> <laughs> this, made me, this made me laugh. So he went to an all-boys one-room schoolhouse. Um, oh, my God. And, yeah. Uh, and, like, okay, he's gay. So this was his, like, best... <laughs> dream this, come like, true. The, a dream come true, yeah. Um, but other students said that he was kind of a teacher's pet, and he would tell the teacher about some of, like, the other mischief that the boys were doing. Well, that makes sense um, is why he went to the police to tell on himself. Yeah, he's a snitch. <laughs> and snitches get stitches. Um, anyway, so he, uh, but it was like he would only do it to like, or like tell on the boys that like picked on him or like he didn't fit in well Yeah, revenge. With. So like, it was like nobody really liked him, I think. Like, I don't think he was very likable back He then. sounds like a Percy Weasley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His mother was Irish Catholic and his father was Scottish Presbyterian, which, uh, yeah, which caused some family arguments, apparently. Yeah. Um, Wow. Like, you don't hear that. Yeah. Very weird. Um, 
And Bruce, like, sided with his mom, which I get. You know, I side with my mom about a lot. Um, <laughs> but his dad was really strict. Um, but I, I, I don't know if this came from Bruce or just from, like, family interviews. But um, his dad was strict, but it seemed that it only ha- started to happen when he found out his son was gay. Mm-hmm. So once he found out Bruce was gay, he started to be just really hard on him because of it. Um and it sucks. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, for me, like, I I say this all the time, that I always try to find that, like, pivotal time mm-hmm. in their lives where, like, that... And I think this might have... Yeah. Like, this is might might have been that time because... Totally, being told that, like, you're not good enough, that you, who you are is bad and evil yeah, and... Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Um, but he was, he did go to a secondary school where he met a young woman named Janice Campbell and so you guessed it. He marries her when he's 23. I always feel for the, the wives of serial killers because I just feel like they're, they're tricked, you know? Yeah. Because usually there's a lot of manipulation and secrecy and stuff going on that yeah, it's like and everybody it's like, in their life is is being lied to and usually i feel like a fam a wife and a family and everything is like a big distraction mm-hmm. for like like a cover yeah. if he yeah, if it was cover. a guy that lived alone in this one room apartment you're gonna be like oh yeah you're definitely a murderer yeah. but if you have a wife and kids then you're like oh you you're normal yeah and it just feels like you know and also like a huge waste of time i mean like obviously you know it, she loved him so it didn't feel like a waste of time but like putting all your time and love and affection into something and then they end up being a completely different person that you never even thought to yeah like you would never even think that of them um but that's how psychopaths operate Mm -hmm. um he did work as a um uh an assistant in a department store in the 70s which was just a few blocks from the gay village um Mm -hmm. And as we said in part one, same-sex adult uh, sexual behavior was criminal was decriminalized in 1969. So I think that might have been his when he was like yeah, exploring. like exactly yeah. like when it was decriminalized is when he started to you know like he chose a job in that neighborhood just to mm-hmm. like get a little sneak peek of what that life was like. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he and his wife had their first child, Melanie, and their second child, Todd, by 1981. Mm-hmm. And he was also really involved in their church. Um, and according mm-hmm. to Wikipedia, this is, uh, was just a way for him to avoid his homosexual feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, when I read that, this I was like... This you feel bad for him. I, I know, which I hate feeling, him. I hate feeling bad for murderers, but, like... Again, like I said, like, I feel that that was, like, that pivotal moment in his yeah, life. Yeah, it's what it where, all comes back to. Yeah, and, like, if These I could men's say are, anything, like, the manifestation of his self-hatred. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I just feel like if there was anything I could say, like, I, we we have a platform here, but there's, like, there's anything I could say to the people that do experience this, like, struggle between who they are and who people are telling them to be is... Like, do not hide it or mask who you are. And it's so much easier said than done. I get that. But for me, it's just like, 
find someone in your life that is supportive of you or can help you find your um, like comfortability within yourself and you know like shoving it down is not the answer or like building a cover life is not the answer mm-hmm. um, just like be proud of who you are and if you find somebody that you know can support you in that way and that can help you be comfortable in who you are. It's, it'll be easier to be honest with the people that you love, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, and if you can't find anybody to support you, just know that we do. Um, RuPaul always says, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? No, I love RuPaul. I love RuPaul. I want to be best friends with RuPaul. I know. So MacArthur ended up leaving his job at the department store Um, And began working as a traveling salesman, which in my mind, red flag right there because I know I feel like this is like he didn't start with Skanda. There was no way he started with Skanda if he was a traveling salesman. Like Mm. that might have also been a cover for whatever he Mm -hmm. was doing. Um, And this is like a question I've been asking myself for obviously now two episodes of research on on this guy, which was like kind of why this was all happening and like why he was doing this. And that pivotal moment is just like, like you said, he had been taught his entire life, you know, growing up religious, obviously, that he needed to hate gay people Mm. and that being gay was wrong. So... Mm. And, like, being gay went against, like, you know, his faith and his religion. And and instead of, like, hating himself, which I feel like being a serial killer, you have to hate yourself just a smidge. Yeah. But um, he, like, projected that on other gay men because he had to hate them, but he he knew he couldn't separate himself completely from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, MacArthur, supposedly he began having affairs with men around the early 90s, but like I said, I don't believe that for a second. He, I think he was definitely, Mm -hmm. had that secret life way before, um, even though he married his wife very young, like I just feel like he was definitely experimenting early on and then they they became affairs because he got more comfortable in you know, having that double life. So he did eventually come out to his wife, but they continued to live together. And, um, like, I kind of wish Mm. that I was like a fly on the wall during that conversation, (laughs) just to like see her reaction, but also to see like, did she already know? Yeah. But like, I wonder what her beliefs were, because if she came, if she was a product of a similar environment, then it's Mm. like, I could see her being like, well, we're going to get through this. We're going to knock this out of you. Like, yep. We're married. It's for better or worse, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for the kids too, but who knows? Right. Like, just so that they wouldn't feel like they're, you know, and maybe there was some sort of agreement between them. Like, okay, you can do your thing, but don't. I honestly feel like if there was any, any one person in his life showed him acceptance for this, then these murders would not have happened. So I highly doubt that there was an agreement. Mm, true. You know, yeah. personally, that's my opinion. I don't know. I wasn't there, but. Yeah. Um, his employment came to an end as a salesman. Um, so the couple was struggling financially. Um, 
but it wasn't only because of the lack of income. It was because uh, they had some legal issues with their son. Mm. So Todd was, quote, obsessively making obscene phone calls to women he did not know. End quote. It sounds funny, but like... <laughs> If I were on the receiving end of that, would probably be really scary. Yeah, it's super weird. Um, they Very had to specific. mortgage their home and declare bankruptcy <gasps> to afford the legal fees for their Todd. Family. Yeah, well, Apple doesn't f- fall far from the yeah. sea, obviously. Um, so he, d- Bruce, eventually separated from his wife in 1997, um, and. He moved to Toronto, where uh, he started to visit a lot of the bars in the Church Wellesley Village. Um, And at this time, the uh, gay village wasn't formed yet, but he did move into an apartment on Don Mills Road. Um, And he was in a relationship, too, at the time. Um, But I couldn't find, like, with, like, who he was in this relationship with. Uh, but it apparently was like three or four years. And um, I wish that I like they could find out who that guy was because it would be interesting to that find out. That would be really like, a lot of insight. Maybe yeah, that guy wasn't out or something. Maybe. Um, but, you know, like Bruce was going through not only probably a very messy divorce and um, he was... Uh, he had just broken up with this unknown man as well. Um, and as we know, divorces and breakups are not fun. So mm-hmm. uh, that, um, and even for a serial killer, I guess, they're they're all horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up seeing a psychiatrist who put him on Prozac to combat his depression. So he was on depressive meds. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm saying so this like, like there's hope. Yeah, there's no hope. But, like, it just feels like maybe he did have the mind to seek help at one point, and yeah. somehow that didn't there work. There seems like there's a lot of moments where it's, like, he, he did the right thing, or, like, mm-hmm. if it had just turned out a little bit differently, none of this would have happened. Like, that could have been yeah something there. But I don't know. So there's still, like, a disconnect somewhere. Yeah. And just don't know where it is, but... um. And at this time was when he started to pursue a career as a landscaper. This always surprises me because I wonder, like, I know that they create, like, serial killers like to create, like, this cover life or whatever. But then Mm -hmm. I always think, like, maybe he really just loved landscaping. And that was, like, one of the things that wasn't a cover. It was just, like, you know. Or the, the best lie is something that's the closest to the truth, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. So I was just like, maybe he was like a really bomb ass landscaper, and that's and he why got he got hired and like had yeah. clients. Like he yeah, had rich he, clients, apparently right? a lot of his clients were like elderly women who like it was like word of mouth kind of thing. Like he mm. he wasn't like big on like the advertising part of things, but like it was just word of mouth stuff. Um, but like, and it made me think because wasn't Ted Bundy? Well, I guess this isn't completely accurate but he because uh, when he worked with Ann Rule he was a suicide uh, yeah like telephone whatever, hotline whatever, hotline and it's just Operator. like well, maybe 
like he really like that was something that he like there there was no cover involved in that like what was he wasn't like proud like i think prowling women at the time like he was I think at the ted time, bundy's but. like meter was would be filled by those by like mm-hmm. absorbing those feelings you know oh god i didn't even think of that <laughs> never mind damn he was the, he was the, he was the wrong the wrong uh way to go with that to try to support my theory anyway and I hear what you mean because it's like landscaping is like you're all about bringing life and like it seems yeah. so like lovely and beautiful and harmonious and all yeah. this but this is bullshit you know, this is no, another just, one yeah, of those uh instances where i'm the good twin and you're the bad one because i'm like well maybe he really loved landscaping and he loved flowers <laughs> And you're like, no, he was just a murderer. <laughs> um, so uh, this is the first documented. You can be two things. You can love landscaping and murder. I mean, I don't mind, you know, I don't want to be a landscaper, but I definitely admire people who have like very pristine landscaped lawns and like flowers and stuff. You don't and... see that often in California. Everything's dead and dry. Yeah. But. I mean, and I also like murder. I'm not a murderer, but I like no. murder and landscaping at the same time. So maybe. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yay, I proved my theory. <laughs> um, okay, so this is the first documented assault performed by Bruce MacArthur. Oh, yay. Yes. But I, like I said before, I don't believe that this was the first, but this first is the documented. first documented one. Yeah. So... Um, anyway, so, so MacArthur met a male sex worker on a chat and they did meet up and have sex a couple times, but it was on October 31st, 2001, which is Halloween. why, yeah, in many articles, it's called Bruce's Halloween assault. Oh, um, so he is invited by this man to come up to his apartment to see his costume, which is like such a. It's like a like, toddler thing yeah. or something. Or Would like wanna, a, hey, come see my costume. Do you want to see my costume? You can have some tea. I don't know. But like, it's just very weird to Have say, some like, tea? Is that how you lure men into your apartment? Do you want a cup of tea? Well, I don't really lure men into my apartment because I do have a boyfriend. But uh, I guess if I had, if I didn't have a boyfriend and I was trying to lure someone into my apartment, it would probably be not tea, but like some sort of like baked good. Yeah, your you fresh know. bread that you yeah. are taunting me with. I know. So my I fresh can't bread have any? And my banana muff- my banana muffins that I made. <laughs> you want I'm actually going to make um, chocolate chip muffins tonight because Girl. we're stuck in the house and baking makes me happy. Um, so he invites him in to look at his Halloween costume, but um, as he when he turns around, MacArthur hits him over the head with an iron pipe that he apparently carried around with him. Oh, God. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but who who carries around an iron pipe? Is he just like, I'm quirky. Here's my pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like for people to know that, like, oh, yeah, he he always walked around with an iron pipe on him. Like, that's so But maybe it's like... If, like, how some people keep, like, baseball bats in their car or something, oh, if yeah. they're being, like, followed, like, maybe it was something like that. You know what is one really smart thing about Bruce MacArthur is that in a lot, I think actually most of these, mm-hmm. is that he meets and, like, 
has relationships and like has meetings and like liaisons with every one of his victims which then like totally brings down the guard yeah the the guard you're not worried or anything you feel like you know this person Mm -hmm. so the trust is there implicitly and it's like oh wow i didn't even think about that yeah because he did that with isaac too because isaac Mm -hmm. said that they had been like in an on and off relationship for five years yeah and like like, as women when somebody goes on like a first date you're usually like oh be careful don't get murdered but it's like you go on a second date and you're like oh it's fine he wasn't a murderer yeah he didn't murder me that time yeah (laughs) you know wow yeah he he's investing a lot of times in like time i should say i wonder like what the plan is though if he like goes in and is like this one i'm gonna see four times and then i'm gonna do it or if it's just kind of like as it like happened right well i I did i i didn't include this in my my research because i ended up finding this article like after i had already done most of my my work and it was an article basically outlining all these other guys that you know did come in contact with Bruce MacArthur and they were attacked but they got away and then they didn't say anything because mm. they were either not out at the time or they were married mm. and it was like this secret life kind of thing but after oh my God. after they discovered that it was Bruce MacArthur who was arrested and spoiler alert sorry but they came forward and did interviews um, they weren't able to charge Bruce for these because of, there's like a statute of limitations and like all this stuff involved but they like this article gave them space and like room to tell their stories which i thought was really great but i was just like this the article was like six pages long and i was just like this is gonna take me another like six hours (laughs) worth of research and i can't um so he didn't kill him obviously he but when he woke up he had suffered injuries to his head and his body, which resulted in, like, multiple stitches. He needed mm. to do, uh, like, physical therapy for six weeks as well because he was so badly beaten. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, but, again, what do you think Bruce does? Did he tell the police? He turns himself in. What the hell? I know. It's so weird. So he goes to the police and tells them that he doesn't remember the attack at all. But he knows that he Mm. did it. He doesn't remember it. He pleads guilty. um, But he he said he doesn't remember it, like as if he blacked out or something. Um, And he was sentenced to 729 days, which is like not enough time. It's just not enough time. Um, but, uh, they like to, to the shock of us all, and I'm putting that in air quotes because it's not shocking, but they ended up giving him a conditional sentence because he ended up seeing a psychiatrist that presented, uh, reports that suggested that MacArthur was a low risk to reoffend. <laughs> and... Spoiler alert, they're wrong. <laughs> you keep saying spoiler alert, but people know. I know. That's why it's, a, it's like <laughs> I'm being sarcastic because I'm not spoiling anything. It's obvious that this is like not his first thing. Uh, he won't reoffend, but but it's because he's white. Yeah. Um. Look at him. Yeah. Um. So the victim, uh, 
the guy that he just beat badly, he didn't do a victim impact statement um, at his sentencing because, I mean, I'm sure it, it didn't even really say why, but I'm sure it's just because like yeah, he wouldn't... wants to relive that again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, they were concerned that MacArthur's unexplained behavior, <laughs> which is like, that's, I feel like it's very easy to explain his behavior. Yes. He's yes, yes, yes. a psychopath. But anyway, they said that it was due to the combination of the fact that he was on anti-seizure medication, which was like, that's new, since when? Um, and poppers do you know what poppers are yes okay but let, tell us okay <laughs> it's a muscle re- relaxant which i guess you take right before you perform sex with men to loosen things up so <laughs> it's not so painful getting things in yeah so <laughs> he he took that as well as his seizure medication and they think that that combination is what made him black out and wait so he took a he took popper so he was going to have sex with him still mm-hmm. yeah uh, weird oh god so that was like the way they explained it away and he didn't seem like he was going to reoffend so they let him go um <laughs> He didn't end up going to prison, but he did. He was sentenced to one year of house arrest, six months of curfew. Oh, us too. Yeah. Oh, God, I hope it's not a year. (laughs) No, 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 no. Um, But he had a curfew for six months after that, and then he had to do three years of probation. Um, He was banned from the church in Wellesley uh, Village, except for work or medical appointments. Um, he also had to stay 10 meters or 33 feet away from the victim's <laughs> house or workplace. And so he could still yell at them. Yeah. From 33 feet away, but that's it. Cool. Um, and he, um, oh, he couldn't, um, spend time with any male sex workers or have like drugs on him at all if he didn't have a prescription. And it was like specifically he couldn't take poppers. Wow. So, <sighs> so did, he, did he listen? <laughs> no, probably not. No, he no. didn't actually. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Uh, so MacArthur, he did have to submit. They're like, no more attacking people, okay? Yeah, you promise. <laughs> Got it. Okay, I promise, Judge. <laughs> um. So <Pinky>. he he's. <laughs> He submitted his DNA into the database, um, and he was also com- uh, compelled to undertake uh, psychological and psychiatric counseling and anger management. Um, so, I mean, uh, the, all of this is... In I theory, get, sounds right. Sounds right, and it's a lot more than the U.S. does, for sure. I right. mean, like, now what we do, it's like... Well, they seem sorry for doing what they did, and our jails are overcrowded, so let us let the rapists and murderers out and keep all the black men who have small drug mm-hmm. possession charges. We're going to keep them in jail because- He had a leaf of marijuana he, on him. He, was, he smelled like marijuana, so we're going to keep him here. <laughs> but that guy that raped and murdered a bunch of people, let's let him out. That sounds like a good low, idea. Low, uh, low, what is it? I forgot. Low risk of- <laughs> Attacking again? Yeah, I don't know. He he anyway. wouldn't reoffend. So reoffend. He looks like he's he looks sorry and he's not going to reoffend. He promised. <laughs> he pinky promised all of us. He pinky promised. 
so disgusting. But I'm kind of glad Canada's trying to do better than us. Trying. Um, but in 2014, MacArthur was granted a record suspension on this conviction. So, uh, what? essentially all of his record was just like expunged. So that like, this just never happened. Is that a thing? It's a thing and it happened. So, and so that's why when they were in the police station, they didn't find anything. I'll get to that. Ah, sorry. So yeah. So he, um, so like all of the criminal background checks, all of, you know, it, it would just come up as if like, you know, he nothing. had basically nothing, but the record, any other records were destroyed. And, um, at this point in 2014, he had already killed Skanda, Navaratanam, and Basir Fazi and Hamid Kahan. Oh my God. So they expunged his record after he had already killed, like oh abducted and killed th- these three men. Um, the only documents that weren't restro- uh, destroyed were like transcripts from the court um, his, and it was just like his guilty plea, um, and the sentencing hearing transcripts. And they also huh. still had his psychiatric report and the pre-sentencing report, but that was, that was all ordered during the trial. So that's why it wasn't destroyed. And they had pictures of the victim's injury and, or injuries, mm-hmm. um, and the weapon that he chose, the iron pipe. Um, mm. So game of clue. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. So Bruce crazy. MacArthur in the van with the pipe. With the pipe. Um <laughs> and the fur coat. Sorry. We'll get we'll get to that too. <laughs> um, uh. So MacArthur was um basically like because his record was expunged, now he was able to start to revisit the gay village and frequent bars over there. Um, and one of the things is that he, um, started to sign up for a bunch of fetish dating sites and his profile stated that he wanted a submissive man. Mm. Um, and I only, I only wrote these down because, you know, they, they're, they're very interesting sites that he was, uh, or like apps and sites that he was involved in. And, and one of them was Silver Daddies. (laughs) this one made me chuckle he fits that oh yeah um this one made me chuckle too man jam man jam (laughs) yeah uh grinder creative yeah very creative grinder we all know about but um these other ones we talked about this in the last episode where like all the men that he was like going after i guess we're all like big burly bear type men mm-hmm. so these next two bear 411 and bear forest were two other <laughs> ones that he was a part of um scruff which scruff I'll... scruff is a sponsor of rupaul's drag race really yeah and the guy who founded it his last name is scruff oh that's so cool i, I thought probably it was like... changed it yeah, yeah. I liked. I thought it was because of like the scruffiness of like. The, yeah, it yeah. is. But I think I'm saying the guy probably changed, changed from, like, his last Joe name. Schmo to Joe Scruff after he founded Scruff. Yeah, true. Um, Daddy Hunt. <laughs> that sounds like a fun video game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, this one's kind of gross. Squirt and Growler. So okay, sure. <laughs> so 
So now you, you know, audience. Yeah, these are all have fun, like, be safe. Yeah, I, and go into all, the bear like, forest. Just because Bruce was on these doesn't mean that you know these aren't fabulous sites to find your right. mate. Um, I just thought they were so funny and yeah. interesting. Just because um, there was a Craigslist killer doesn't mean I didn't sell my fridge on Craigslist. Yes. So. Yeah. Oh, the Craigslist killer. Why haven't we done that yet? Well, we're we are just starting out. Oh, true, we could do true. it. Or like how why have I not thought of that one, I should say. Um so um like I said because his record was expunged, he w- kind of went back to the his his gay bar scene and and was um hiring sex workers as well as using these apps and websites to find um his dates. Um and when because his record was expunged at this point he just looks like an average guy with no record mm-hmm. so when you know he's applying for jobs and he's doing all these things like no one is even noticing that he had this horrible attack that he just performed a couple years before uh so that kind of brings us to like the towards the end of um macarthur's killings and abductions um but like last little thing that just like really disturbed me so he was a landscaper obviously and there's off season for landscapers because if it's during the winter and it's snowing like they can't work and what he would do during the off season was he would dress up like santa Mm. at the local mall and hand out floral gifts for charities Mm. and i was like oh it reminds me of like oh god I'm blanking on his name the clown guy. Uh, I'm gonna say Ed Gein. No, um, no, not Ed Gein. Oh my god, um, John Wayne Gacy. Yes, John Wayne Gacy. Like well. that's what like popped into my mind, and I was like, oh yeah. Um, so um, just if you remember from the last episode, um, they find. Um, at in Andrew Kinsman's apartment, they find a calendar that has Bruce's name on it, um, marked on the day that uh, Andrew went missing. So that's how they find um, who who Bruce is, and they do um, kind of a secret investigation. They find the the van, they find um, that he had sold it, um, and they um, eventually find out find where MacArthur is, and they do round the clock surveillance on him. And, um, and the, the, what they were instructed to do because they, they didn't have any of the, the, uh, test back from the van that they were just instructed to follow him and that they were only allowed to intervene if he was alone with anyone. Hmm. So, um, but what ends up happening is they, uh, test some blood that was in the van. They test fibers in the van and they, um, eventually, they link the the DNA test to Salima Sen and Andrew Kinsman. Um, so the police officers are surveilling MacArthur and they um, follow him on January 18th, 2018, back to his apartment in Thorncliff Park because he enters with uh, a young man. And the police... Um, are, were instructed to only intervene when he was alone with somebody. So they were afraid that 
this was just one of MacArthur's normal things where he would abduct them and then they would never be seen again. So mm. they um, barge into his apartment. At this point, they do have a uh, search warrant because of the DNA uh, blood test from the van. Mm. So they go in and the man, the young man is found um, restrained to the bed. He's handcuffed to his bed. Um, he's shaken up, but he's not injured. So they arrest MacArthur because, like, he was literally about to do exactly yeah. what he did to all the other men. Oh so my this God. man is considered the almost ninth victim of Bruce MacArthur. Um, actually, tenth, I guess, if you think of yeah. well, Isaac. That or we maybe know. however many. Yeah, you never know. Um so this guy came from came to Canada from the Middle East five years before. He was married. He hadn't told his family he was gay. Same so, profile. Yeah. And I feel like that's what he... And he found this guy on the Growler app. So I think, like, this was just, like, he would talk with them and, and mm-hmm. he would, like, he could identify the, 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 weak, the weak places in the these people's lives. The people that are lives. most likely not to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he said that they had sex several times um, and that he, they both agreed to, you know, continue the relationship, but keep it a secret because this other man was not um, out to his family. Um, but he said that he, like, that, that was kind of like their normal thing. Like Bruce liked to handcuff him and like they would do their, mm. their stuff. But he said that this time was different because he put a black bag over his head and he tried to tape his mouth shut. <sighs> but then the police came in and found him. Can you imagine like, just in time if you were like, if it was just like a kinky tie or whatever, yeah. and all of a sudden like police burst in? Oh my God. You're like, wait, no, I swear. But like, this is thank off. God they did here. Yeah. That's definitely. terrifying. I know. Um, so according to uh, Wikipedia, the police seized uh, a bunch of stuff from his apartment, including um, five cell phones. Like, why do you have five cell phones? Five cell phones? Um, and he five... only used pay phones? Yeah, five computers. <laughs> I wonder if they were all for um, using the dating sites. Oh, maybe. Like, each one had its own. Had, a d- had its own, yeah. Yeah. Um, he had five computers, three digital cameras, and like dozens of usb flash drives so it's like yeah they definitely hit the jackpot here so the evidence that they find there they um are able to uh arrest and charge him with two counts of first degree murder um in the presumed deaths of andrew and salim because they couldn't find the bodies but they because of the evidence they found in the apartment they were like pretty positive that they were dead and they just needed to find the remains. So they, they were able to charge him. Um, and the police said, quote, we have a pretty good idea of how they died. Um, from the photos. Oh yeah. So according to CTV news, the photographs of the victims were kept as, as trophies. Um, and the police found a folder on his computer containing the images of, all of the victims um, that, or all of them that they could identify and um, their bodies were posed and wearing a fur coat. Uh. And if you remember Isaac from Uh the beginning, he uh, said that he remembered 
when he was forced into the van and just before um, MacArthur started to choke him, there was a fur coat in the back seat. Um, so Isaac... What the fuck is that about? I don't know. That's weird. Um, Isaac said that he didn't hear anything for two years from the police. Um, and it, Or he didn't hear anything for two years, but it wasn't from the police. It was on the radio. So he heard of Bruce's arrest uh, arrest on the radio oh and God. he was like, what the hell? So then like he seeks to find out like what is up and like how, yeah, like, you know, so, but then he finds out, you know, he is being arrested for uh, killing a bunch of people. Um, he did attend the sentencing hearing um, to get, closure and ultimately he said I just wanted to support the men that lost their lives to MacArthur Mm. Um, he said he uh, even though he like knows that Bruce is gone and like he's going away for a long time that he still has like um, like PTSD from it and like he feels haunted by him and he's every time he pulls into his driveway he drives in really slow because he's afraid that his red van is going to be out there. Oh, God. That's so sad. Um, I'll get into the police investigation, um, but I do want to just, like, button up Isaac's case first. Um, so after MacArthur is arrested, they end up doing some digging, and they find, you know, the incident that happened with Isaac. And um, that, which then ultimately resulted in the deaths of Salim and, and Andrew. So the officer, oh gosh, I'm not going to say his name right again. Got- Gautier. 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 Sorry. Officer Gautier um, is facing two counts of professional misconduct <gasps> because he didn't videotape Isaac's statement or take photographs of his injuries. Um, and Whoa. Yeah. So he's like, that. yeah, he's like probably gonna lose his job wow this is really Uh, canada because that would never happen here yeah no not at all because they would just get away with it yeah you know they would just get away we'll do better next time yeah um he said that he does believe that he conducted the uh investigation properly and um he also brought this information to his on-duty sergeant at the time and he also agreed to let go let bruce macarthur go Hmm. um and they find out that because Bruce's 2003 Halloween arrest was expunged from his record at the time, it didn't come up on his background check. Mm. So they were like, why if that expunge was, the records? Yeah. Like if that was something that they knew about, they would have done more digging, but they didn't. Yeah. Um, and some sources say that there was no report filed from Officer Gautier. He, um, and that the only way that they knew about this was because Isaac went back to the police and told the police, like, nobody did anything about this. I haven't been contacted. But, Mm. um, this, the article that was, was, um, written, I referenced it in the last episode, that was an interview with Isaac and he doesn't mention going back to the police and saying anything. So I, I kind of trust him more than like Mm. another source saying that, that something that he did, but I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, detective. It's I hope I'm saying your name, right. 
uh, released a statement that the way that this was all handled, he said, quote, it was serious enough to f- affect the careers of all the officers involved. Wow. So, um, and this is like the part where I can't imagine being a cop because you're like always just like one factor away from someone living and dying. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know if I can take that responsibility, but I have tremendous respect for the people that do it and can bear that responsibility because mm-hmm. I can't. Um, so in February, 2019, um, Paul, uh, Gautier was, um, charged for insubordination and neglect. Wow. Um, these charges are not criminal, but he, if he is convicted, he will most likely lose his job. He is a 15 year veteran on the police force and is completely backed by all of his colleagues. They, you know, have nothing but good things to say about him. And Which he spent of course, the be- that's like, yeah, you have to do yeah. that. They're the brothers. Um, he did spend the best part of his career working on very difficult cases of human trafficking. So, mm. you know, I'm just a little conflicted about it. I just, like, I get that, like, no, he shouldn't have let him go. Uh, but it wasn't his decision alone. Like, mm-hmm. he brought this to his supervisor, who also approved of the release. Yeah. Um, well, it's, and- it's like, because he went on to kill... Yeah. Eight people. Like, if he went on to, like, be a serial, like, traffic ticket getter, it, you know, <laughs> wouldn't he be wouldn't be on the line. But it's like, you know. Yeah. Um, and I know, like, he, he has stated that, like, if he knew of the 2003 arrest, he would have, you know, wouldn't have done what he, he did. It would yeah. have been kind of an open shut thing. Um, he wrote a two page letter to his colleagues, which was leaked to the media. Um, he said that he was being, he was, he's like the scapegoat here and, um, that he stands by his decisions and the reports that he did were completed and they were available on the night of everything happening. Um, he also said that, um, he spoke to project prism officers at the time as well, after they identified MacArthur's van. And he said, quote, there were no complaints then. So it's a lot of like, ugh, you know, but this kind of broke my heart a little bit because um, he hasn't appeared in court yet, but it's because he's uh, been diagnosed with PTSD and is seeking treatment due to the toll of being blamed for the murders of Salim and Andrew. Um, It's so rough because I don't, I honestly don't think that he's to blame. No, I think that the entire system as a whole. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. public backlash from this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah that... Like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the whole, the system as a whole failed all of these men. So it's like, you know, um, I don't think anybody, like, he was involved, yes, but to blame, probably not. Um, so um, after the police um, arrest um, MacArthur, um, they end up doing... Like, the, like they're, mo- they're most concerned about identifying the victims that are in the pictures that he they found in the apartment. Um, and they're trying to kind of track the whereabouts of what um, MacArthur was doing through all of the apps activity that he had so that they could somehow piece together, um, you know, give names to these victims or give names to these photos so that they can um, 
ultimately charge him. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there is, I can't even tell you, there's so much about this investigation. Like, and a lot of it's redundant because they did do this technically three times with the mm-hmm. project Houston and project prism. So now this is like the third time they're going through all of this stuff. So it's just mm-hmm. a lot of information. So I, it's what I'm saying is very truncated because I just couldn't go like I couldn't mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was way too much. Basically, they, their thought was that he was he's a serial killer who was concealing evidence and burying it across the city. So they started to try to match MacArthur to like other murder cases and all the missing murder, missing person cases in um, and, and throughout Canada. Um, and they searched every residence that MacArthur had come into contact with throughout his whole life. Like, oh my God. So there was like, I think there was like 30 properties that they ended up searching. The people that lived in those homes now like had to leave and like relocate until the investigation was over because they were like digging up his backyard and they used cadaver dogs to try to find the human remains because they figured um, he would have used his properties and his landscaping business to hide you know the remains and the cadaver dogs took a very strong interest in large planter boxes that had like that were on his properties and it was so cold that they were like frozen to the ground so like they couldn't tell like what if the dogs were like showing interest in the planter box or, or underneath the planter boxes because it was so cold out and everything was frozen. Mm -hmm. So they ended up getting like huge heaters to thaw out these yards Mm. so that Mm. they could like dig up the planter boxes and like go through the planter boxes. So crazy. So on January 29th, um, the police, um, announced that they had found, um, the dismembered skeletal remains of at least three people in two of the 12 large planter boxes that were on the Lee side resident on January 29th. um, The police announced that they found the dismembered skeletal remains of at least three people in two of the 12 uh, large planter boxes that they got from the Lee side residents. And, um, they just had such a hard time um, figuring out or, like, identifying any of them because, like I said, they're dismembered. So, like, finding out which piece goes to what is kind of, like, was Mm -hmm. difficult for them. So, um, but they were able to um, charge him with three additional counts of first-degree murder um, because they presumed that these people these remains were uh, Majid Kahan um, and Sharus Mahmoudi um, and Dean Lisowick. So they just, just by decomposition, they were trying to like match those with the disappearance, the date of the disappearance. Um, so like I said, they did 30 properties they searched um, and it was the largest Toronto undertaking. So this investigation was the biggest that Toronto has ever seen. So MacArthur, like I said, he was the the, uh, uh, traveling salesman in the past. Mm -hmm. So they assume that 
there are countless victims yeah all over because it like skanda was yes his first like kill i guess but he had been traveling and that could have been just like a cover to find like find more victims and we'll likely never know who they are or like how Mm. many um he's considered the deadliest um known silly serial killer in toronto and the most prolific gay serial killer in canada Mm. so the police on February 8th, they announced that they had found the remains of three more people in mm. planters from the Leaside home. Like, how big is this home that these planters, like, how many planters, they had 12 in there the first one. There are some, one. like, very, like, sprawling estates out, oh, okay. like, very close to the city. So, like, they could Maybe be on was... an acre or more, you know? Yeah. Um, but through fingerprints, they were able to determine that one of the remains belong- belonged to Andrew Kinsman. Mm. Um, the investigator said that it could be months before all the remains are identified. So this was back in 2017, 18, 2017, I think. Um, so like still at this point, they, they have not identified all the, Mm. uh, remains. Um, they continue to find more planters on more properties, but uh, using the cadaver dogs, they just have so much trouble because, or they had so much trouble at the time because um, the the scents were uh, kind of undetectable because it was so cold and they were frozen to the ground. That is like literally something I never would have thought of. Yeah. And now, so like they had to just bring, like, bring in heaters and like a huge Ugh. forensic te- tent and just like thaw out these planters and the ground and dig. And like these um, forensic pathologists were expected to like work day in and day out and like excavate remains by hand. Mm-hmm. Like it's just so crazy. And the Lee's Hyde home has now been described as ground zero. I assume that that is his, where his dumping ground was. Um, <sighs> so on February 23rd, MacArthur was charged with his sixth account of first degree murder. Um, and then March 5th, the police held a press conference and they were having trouble identifying the bodies. So they just like like put up a picture and they were like can anybody identify this person like do you know who he is like this person is um and the public actually helped because they discovered that that was uh abdul bazar fazi um and on april 11th is when he was charged with his seventh uh, count of first degree murder and on April 16th, MacArthur was charged with his eighth count of first degree murder in the death of Karishna uh, Kumar Kanagaratnam, whose remains were found in the seventh set mm. of the Leaside planters. Oh my gosh, this just never ends. I know, it's crazy. So in total, he was charged with eight counts of first degree murder. Oh. <sighs> So at this point, it's where even are we in time? Uh, like it's April twenty eighteen. Uh, yes. Okay. Um. So 
basically like that whole year, everything there, all the police and the lawyers and everybody are getting things together. And uh, it isn't until November 30th, 2018 that Judge John McCann sets January 2020 as the date for the trial because there's so much evidence that has to be pieced together in cases that have to be built. And, like, obviously this case is so huge that they yeah. needed two years to prep for the case. However, it is now April 2020. Yeah. And... There wasn't a case in January. Uh-oh. So what happened? Not that bad, but um, <laughs> they, on January 28th, 2019, so like about 2019, excuse me, um, just a couple months after they like set that trial date, mm -hmm. TPS announces that there's going to be like a big announcement on the case whatever nice. there's a huge snowstorm that night but people still like line up around the block the next morning to like go in and hear what this announcement is yeah and on january 29th 2019 motherfucker bruce MacArthur pleads guilty to every single count that he's charged uh -huh. with and like poof there goes the trial because he's just done he just is like yeah i did it bye wow and so it like all that everything is like totally uh, gone because he's just like yep which okay i'm like it's so i don't understand that tactic like yeah but he has a history of going to the police and turning himself in a history of snitching a history of like trying yeah. to get in front of it so mm -hmm. it's like I think that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. I, it's not out of character for him to just be like, you know what? Yeah. And like try to explain it away. Does he try to but explain no, it the, away? No, there's no trial. So he doesn't get to explain anything. There's not. He can't defend himself. Nothing. He just is huh. like guilty. And I will take whatever sentencing you give me. Wow. So I'm like, like from a legal standpoint, I, I, I. Like, because in the past when he goes and turns himself in or he snitches or whatever, there's always some thing that he is trying to get out of it. But I'm like, what could you be trying to get out of this? Because you're not, yeah. you're not going to get cut like a better deal, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, maybe it's just his lawyers being like, listen, bro, they're fine. They well, found his one lawyer on their website, mm -hmm. basically like their motto says like, a guilt plea, a guilty plea should be a last resort. So maybe it is just like you're fucked. So yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So yeah. it was just like crazy. So, um, his lawyer. I want to say one one thing because basically that's the whole case. Like the mm -hmm. whole trial is that. Yeah. Um, but his lawyer read from an agreed-upon statement of fact from everybody. So he said that um, each murder was either premeditated or involved other crimes which qualified them as first degree. Six were, quote, sexual in nature, and five included confinement. Mac MacArthur kept trophies from his victims, including jewelry and a notebook. DNA from four of the victims had been found in MacArthur's van. Um, he then outlined MacArthur's post-offense rituals, MacArthur had hundreds of post-mortem digital photographs, which were recovered forensically after he tried to delete them. So he tried to delete. Mm. 
which that also I'm like, so he's trying to get away with. I don't know. Um, he staged postmortem photographs, typically with ropes around their necks, um, or with them nude in a fur coat or hat, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the photographs he had shaved their heads and their beards, and they yeah. f- actually found the hair in Ziploc bags at another oh. property that he worked at, which was the Mount Pleasant Cemetery, which I thought oh, wow. was so insane. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so it's not till February that the sentencing begins. Uh, friends and families of all the victims come and read their victim statements. And, um, you know, which is always a terrible, terrible day. Uh, yeah. And... But I, I wonder if him pleading guilty, how it feels to the victims of the family, because they do get that moment to say, like, this is what you did to us. This is what yeah. you have done. But I wonder if they feel robbed of justice or if they feel grateful that they don't have to go through the process of a trial and get, you know, their the victim's name smeared and, like, all that hateful stuff that comes from a trial. It's like, yeah, I, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Um, but basically on February 8th, 2019, Superior Court Judge John McMahon sentenced MacArthur to eight counts of first degree murder. Um, he gets life for all of them to be served concurrently. So Mm -hmm. basically he's serving eight life sentences, but all at the same time. So, um, he is eligible for parole in 25 years, but literally everyone is like he's never getting out like he's old and sick and has diabetes he's gonna die in there and he's not like sorry yeah so (laughs) no yeah um this case had a lot of controversies though we talked about some of them we talked about why uh macarthur targeted this community and the backlash from that community because everything MacArthur thought, which was that the police would be dropping the ball or, like, unsure how to, like, go about this or there's a lot of secrecy. It was all true. Um, And the first was that they didn't use the phrase serial killer. And there was, like, um, so much from the police side being, being, like, we can't ever say that word. We're basing it off the evidence that we had, and we didn't have evidence of a serial killer, so we're not going to incite panic. Um, police captain Saunders specifically was like, I'm not being coy. I'm not trying to beat around the bush. We just like, didn't have anything that would say there's a serial killer. So I'm not going to say that, which I like understand that. Yeah. Um, but despite that, there's so many people that are like this, it all could have been helped if you had just fucking said serial killer. Um, they even had a, like, criminologist, uh, what's her name? Sasha Reed, who was getting a PhD in specializing in statistical analysis of missing persons and sexually motivated killers. Like, hello, her fucking forte. Um, she independently was doing research and found all of this stuff in police reports and created a profile about the serial killer when they were still denying that there was a serial killer. And she got everything right about him, except that she identified him as a person of color and in his 30s because she thought that they would match the victims more. Oh. Um, 
she gave it to huh, the police and then like they didn't do anything with it which is crazy wow. um and then mike artfield a criminologist and western university uh professor uh who has in uh his team has um developed an algorithm to perform like a cluster analysis on 80 800,000 American murders cataloged by the Murder Accountability Project. Um, there's no equivalent database in Canada, but basically Artfield like created this algorithm that you can like search and pinpoint and like basically the data can tell you who you're looking for, what kind of person, all this kind of stuff. Um, Canada doesn't have that and so he's he's been critical because it's like obviously you could yeah save so many lives and he actually cited an american case um of the seminal heights serial killer where before they have had evidence the american police said that there was a serial killer which then because they use that word they got fifty thousand tips which like that's a ton of tips but one of them led to the arrest of the serial killer and so if they had said that with MacArthur, they could have gotten ahead of it because people would have been more diligent. And like yeah. maybe that panic that they were so afraid of inciting would have actually would been have... channeled into something useful. Yeah. Um, so that was that was one of the things that, that during the time was ongoing and members in the Church Wellesley community were really um, feeling real hard. Yeah. Um, there's also allegations of racism because there wasn't that big kickoff until Andrew Kinsman, a white man, went missing. Um, this was denied because Cigna cited Project Houston, which was created after the three Middle Eastern men went missing. Um, and there's also been like uh, scholars and people looking at this and breaking it down and not saying it's necessarily like police versus community racism, but there within the gay community there's racism because the community didn't band together in the same way until Andrew went missing. Um, I'm not yeah. saying one case like I'm not saying that's the case or anything, but that has been a source of debate um, about this. Um, and there, there's also, on the other side of it, uh, suggestions that MacArthur was initially overlooked because he was white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that serial killer profile that Sasha Reed gave to the uh, TPS said that they were looking for a man of color. So it's just like all this kind of like, mm-hmm. it, it does play a factor, but you, you don't, <laughs> you yeah, don't know how don't much really until know. you could go back and like do it again. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to express that TPS chief Mark Saunders is a black man, which doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's not the case, um, but it's unclear what his relationship and potential bias with the gay community was. So yeah, um, I'm not sure. He also has put his foot in his mouth a lot in this case. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And like one time we mentioned before was the victim blaming, where he's like, this community is hard oh, because yeah. they the way they date mm-hmm. and not good. And they meet and up then, with people that yeah. they don't know. Yet. Yeah. And then there was another time where he said um, he was defending Project Houston, which we all know failed tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and responding to critics and you know everybody was just like piling on him so he he was trying to defend himself and he said quote we knew that people were missing and we knew we didn't have the right answers but nobody was coming to us with anything so that weird quote was run on the front page of a national newspaper under the headline quote toronto police chief says civilians failed to help investigation into alleged serial killer oh my god not a great look marky mark um and this i was reading about this and i got like such a flash because i i would write letters to uh the chief of police in los angeles uh about police and like killing black people and like training and um how like asking how they're dealing with the internal biases and what sort of programs that they have they have in the police force to stop this from happening and i got a response letter that basically was like it's the civilian's job to to police the police and i was like are you fucking kidding me what so what so and then and and then now you see people with videotaping those incidents and they're getting arrested for videotaping and i'm like yeah oh yeah like that doesn't make any sense yeah so this that (laughs) like triggered that in me where it's like basically being like it's not my fault nobody's helping me but then it's like, yeah. well, you could have said serial killer and then you would have gotten the help. So mm-hmm. I don't know what you want. Yeah. Um, one group of LGBTQ protesters actually like picketed in front of the police station calling for his reg- resignation after that. Um, uh-huh. Later, he apologized and he apologized if his comments were misconstrued or taken in the wrong context. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. It's not an apology if you say, I'm sorry if I did this. No, yeah. take fucking responsibility. Yeah. yeah. It's not okay. a wishy-washy way. So anyways, yeah. whatever. He um, he had not intended to single out the LGBT community. In earlier instances, he had actually expressed gratitudes towards the community for help. Um, and the mayor was like, yeah, that was awkward and weird, but like he's trying, guys. So it's very much like. <laughs> It's kind of a sweet moment, and, like, they just seem kind of, like, bungling a little bit. Yeah. Um, wow. So, like, there's we know, also... We know that's not great, but, it's like, not we're great. really... We're mm. trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, God. So, during this time, too, there was an internal review and an external review going on of TPS and how they handled missing persons cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the internal review was... You know, the TPS looking at themselves and uh, looking at the procedures and the way that they handle things and the bias and things like Sergeant Gautier and how they can, you know, do that. He he wasn't on any missing persons cases, but moments like that were like the pivotal moments. What could we do better? Everything. And it was Chief Mark Saunders that actually wanted to do an external review because he realized that an internal review could be too biased so he mm-hmm. actually went above and beyond to be like i want to fix this and this yeah. isn't working yeah. um which i thought was great yeah um I so feel like that's probably genuinely what he wants as a police officer yeah is to he doesn't seem like issues corrupt but i shitty. think that no but i think that like just because of the circumstances and so much controversy and you know that spurred him into saying things that he just on the fly of being like "Ah, 
you know, like yeah, like maybe just he fun- needs like a press coach, if any. Yeah, like somebody who like just you know coaches yeah. him into like okay, like if you get nervous, don't just sit. Yeah. <laughs> like don't just say what's on your mind. Like yeah. actually think of a constructive way to like ease the community rather mm-hmm. than make these issues. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but to go back to these missing person cases, TPS receives over 4,000 missing persons report each year. So just in Toronto. And most of the cases are resolved in a few days. But from 2014 to 2018, 600 reports, missing persons reports, came from just Church Wellesley. And in March 2018, 30 cases remained open. So on average, that that's a disproportionately high number. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, somebody, Louise, Lucia Don, who runs the website Ontario's Missing Adults, says that missing men are often taken less seriously because they're seen as being able to take care of themselves. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I thought was interesting, like, kind of uh, mm. sexist. Like, yeah. you, you rarely see sexism harming men. Men, yeah. And in this case, it does. Um, now, in 2010, TPS had a big budget cut, so there was a hiring freeze. So they totally dropped in manpower. They totally dropped in just the ability. Everybody's workload, like, tripled. And because of that a- added stress, they had a, a lot more of um, early retirements. So their numbers were just dwindling. So they didn't actually have the manpower to do a lot of, like, the checks or the you know, and probably why a lot of the people from Project Houston then went on to Project Prism because there weren't new people. Yeah. Um, okay. Which that is a huge problem if they're if you're getting all this, these missing cases, missing people, and you just can't look into it. You yeah. know. Um. So that was one thing that like the internal and external probes were like you just need more people. Mm-hmm. Um. They also looked into Alora Wells's disappearance and okay. um, and uh, her family claimed that TPS told them that her case wasn't high priority because she had been homeless for years, which uh. also leads to Dean because Dean was homeless, which is why yeah. n- n- those two cases weren't flagged as that important. Um, and then later when Laura Wells's body was found. TPS failed to follow up with transgender community programs or anyone in the transgender community that might have known her or might have missed her, which led to her body not being identified for months. Oh, so no. just like a whole lot of like, like very passive, yeah, kind of like that. In in those situations, it's like, come on, guys, you can do better. Mm-hmm. Like it does. Like all of the things that you can say that hinder you from doing these things is like... And it's like, make a phone call. Yeah, like, that's it. Yeah. That's all you had to do. Right. Wow, that's so horrible. Yeah, and during this time, uh, TPS was actually in talks with Pride Toronto to, like, march in the Pride Parade. And after mm-hmm. all this is happening, they were like, no way. We <laughs> do not want you. You are not welcome here. And I don't... I I yeah. understand that. Oh, I would... Like, yeah. you're, you're uninvited to the party. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, no. Because of these investigations, Saunders actually created a missing persons unit task force um, and started digitizing and reviewing all the files dating back to 1953. Um, And it would uh, have, like, designated people dealing with missing persons. 
Which I'm like, that wasn't a thing? Yeah, like... Uh, Is that okay. a thing here? Like, that has to be a thing here. Like, I can't believe that that wasn't a thing. But now it's a thing, I so... Guess- I guess it's like I've just assumed that that was a thing, but maybe it's not. I don't and know. we just all assume that that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, wow. There was also legislation passed called the Missing Persons Act that makes it easier to obtain records and phone records and financial records in it from people reported missing, um, mm-hmm. whereas before they had to have evidence of a crime. So they oh, could okay. track and see if people are using their credit cards or anything. Um, yeah. However, the bill is now currently stalled and there's no timeline into bringing it into effect. That must be what they meant because there was an article that I read that I just couldn't understand what they were like. I was like, what do you mean? So it's like they wouldn't, I'm probably like misremembering it, but like it was something where they wouldn't open an investigation because there was on like a missing person because it was like there was no crime committed. Right. And that's like, exactly what you just said. But it, like, I was just like, wait a minute. Somebody being abducted is not a crime? But you... Well, they didn't know. There was no evidence of an abduction. But you remember how Ramona Moore from episode one, they were like, she's an adult. And if she goes away for a few days, she goes away for a few days. Yeah. And since most of the missing persons cases... Well, in Ramona's case, that was not true. But in mm-hmm. most of these missing persons cases, they do turn up. Yeah. So to go into someone's bank records and then they like just went away for the weekend and didn't say something that's a huge violation of privacy so that's why this this bill is complicated um but there has to be some sort of like middle ground because that's crazy um so there's got to be some well maybe because like well that's what andrew kinsman's friend i forget his name or or it was last episode but Mm -hmm. um you know they implemented a lot of things on these apps where yeah like you like signing your terms and conditions was was just as important as signing this like if any if you disappear we are able to release your information to the police Mm -hmm. and that was something that wasn't done before and they they really lobbied for that to happen and it did yeah um and then also during this case uh during the investigation the tps put like a um ban on the media publishing certain photos because they didn't want information getting out they didn't want um like it was about victim privacy uh it was also seen a little bit as silencing so there was a a little bit of a complicated relationship with the media in this um and there's a lot of imbalance in the way that the media portrayed this i do want to say like we are like in America, we have a tendency to, like, name these serial killers, and mm-hmm. there's not really a name for Bruce MacArthur, not, like, a catchy name. We've been saying, like, Toronto serial killer, but, like, yeah. he was Santa. He was a landscaper. Like, in America, he would have been, like, Santa serial killer or, yeah, like, like the gardener of death or something like that, <laughs> and there's none of that because this is the Canadian can- media. Yeah. Which they don't they're do just that. like nicer. Yeah, they're like <laughs> so no, he's good. just. Well, I'm glad because I, we've said that before. Like, yeah. I hate when they give them like cool names, and yeah. then a lot of the t- like Zodiac and the Phantom, the Freeway Phantom, mm-hmm. like they're given these really like cool names, and then they adopt them and try right. to make it like their idea. Yeah, and I like that Canada's just like no, he's a fucking murderer. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I'm, but they wouldn't say the word 
fucking no. because they're 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 too they're too nice. Yeah, I doubt they'd even say murderer. Um, yeah. So, the, but the media was also drawn criticism for the imbalance of photos used. Um, the most notable example is that Andrew's photo that was widely circulated was like he's handsome he's at niagara falls he's smiling he looks great and then dean's who was the other white victim but who was yeah. homeless is it his was mug like shot. his mugshot yeah yeah um so there's been a little bit of like explanation or excuses for that which is like tight deadlines dean didn't have an online footprint while andrew did dean mm-hmm. didn't have like a community offering this stuff um so Toronto Star editor Kathy English said that they would continue to public, uh, to publish Andrew's Facebook photos as a journalistic duty to report reality. Um, and editor Sylvia Steed of The Globe and Mail said that true news photos should be recent, like courtroom sketches, uh, and the balance should favor the victims. So that's interesting, like, to see that, like, even the own, their own publications have their own like moral standards for what they want to publish which is interesting mm-hmm. um nikki ward a director of the church wellesley neighborhood association and graphic artist actually got a photo of dean from a vigil which she used her graphic art skills to like clean up um oh. and then she sent it to the media outlets so that his mugshot wouldn't be used anymore which i thought was oh, really, that was really beautiful cool. oh. um so, and like like you mentioned in the police investigation, the police actually distributed a f- one of the posed post-mortem photos mm-hmm. of Krishna to see if they could identify him. Um, and the Toronto Star actually chose not to publish the photo because it was so disturbing. Um, and what they did instead was that they had an artist use that photo as a basis to like, create a likeness of the person in life which then they released later which is like yeah yeah don't be don't be jerk um finally after all this was going on and this community has been rocked to its core and there's just a lot of um just you know despair going on a free concert called hashtag love wins was initiated by Kristen wong tam who's the only out member of city council um the event had like artists big artists uh corporate sponsorships they had like put it out on a facebook page a press release um and immediately the event drew a lot of criticism from like pushing out the logos of corporate sponsors um when there were still people that hadn't been identified uh in the forensic labs Mm -hmm. the event was chaired by salah bakir the president of Cinemaplex Complex, who identifies as a queer Arab man, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and he says he is so sad and angry about all of these crimes. And he actually knew um, some of the victims personally because his sister was a client of MacArthur's. So. Oh, wow. The Yeah. He would. Yeah. I mean, he, he worked, claimed yeah. that he knew. I don't know. I was like, oh, that's a little bit of a stretch. I don't know. My sister's landscapers partners but um (laughs) she but he was the one like that helped organize it a lot and he was like i'm not i i am doing this from out of the purity of my heart i'm not like looking for a payday 
Um, but Sarah Malabar, who actually produced the opening and closing events for the 2014 World Pride, um, started a Facebook page called Stop Love Wins Concert and threatened to protest if it was not canceled. Um, another critic noted that events are pressured to go mainstream when attracting corporate sponsors and overlook the needs of the community they're meant to address. Um, marginalized communities could make better use of the resources by than by throwing a party. So the event was postponed, and um, they the organizers were you know upset and admitted that the event like sparked unnecessary division in the community um, yeah. when they needed and intended for it to bring together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was interesting that whole like you know concert rigmarole because I feel like. I understand that, like, it's it's feels tactless to, like, throw a party in the face of this um, yeah. thing, but it also feels very, like, American to do that and, like, not let them win and we're going to have fun and we're going to still celebrate life and everything. So, yeah. like, culturally, it feels, um, like, I'm, I am conflicted about it and it reminds me a lot about what's going on right now with, like, you know, this horrible pandemic we're in the middle of, but people still choosing humor, us still putting out this podcast, like people still mm-hmm. choosing things that aren't only about the pandemic, um, which feels both necessary and tactless at the same time. And it's just very confusing. Yeah. Um, and like for this Toronto community, this is last year, this is ending you know it's it's Mm -hmm. so fresh it's yeah it's real that i i hope that everybody is getting the closure that they need and feeling safe and um and now to be you know in lockdown after you're trying to rebuild a community that has lost a lot of trust in people and a community that's so historically beaten down anyways Mm -hmm. um just uh, it's been a, a rough rough time for them and i i feel uh, i feel so like why can't why can't anything good happen yeah like where is the i hope that this time brings back those you know humanity yeah you know brings back those good times that you can like you know feel so far away from what we are right now but I hope that this helps us all reflect on what's most important yeah this episode was written by me Asia Hamilton and Devin Balsamo Gillis edited by Asia Hamilton and music by Holly Amber Church Photos and sources can be found on Instagram at DNA underscore podcast. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a review on iTunes as well. See See you next time. time.